previously on Two Star Two Track. They were like, you know what's not appealing to small children is starting your episode in a conference room. (laughs) 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 And they were like, what if we started it with a kid who's got a deal and he's purple and he's escaping a mine Mm -hmm. planet? Friends and fellow Trekkies, welcome to this special episode of Two Star to Trek. Tonight we are covering Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, which is a feature film. You notice I didn't scream Khan because I didn't want to blow out the mic so you wouldn't be mad at me later, but I think we're going to end up doing it several to many times during this recording. This is, of course, my lovely co-host, Caitlin. Hi. Ryan. And we are joined by two crazy individuals, Stacy and Forrest, who are just ready to talk all about this two-parter, this episode paired with a movie. It's like the ultimate shot chaser. Stacy, how are you doing tonight? I am ready to roll. We're here to talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the best Star Trek. I will not be taking questions at this time. And, <laughs> you know, we're also going to be talking about Space Seed, which is one of the best episodes to come out of Star Trek's first season. So what's not to love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely right there with you on that Forrest, how are you doing this evening? I'm using Romulan ale for medicinal purposes. <laughs> Hell As yeah. you should. 100%. Only when prescribed by your PCP. <laughs> <laughs> Pres- the prescription's all there. It's a little scribbly, but I promise that's what it says. <laughs> so let's jump right in with Space Seed first, because obviously, you know, Space Seed is the first of these, I guess, episodes, the first of this story arc. Mm-hmm. Space Seed is an episode from the original series, Deep in the first season. Caitlin, why don't you just recap us real quick and then we can talk about it for like 10-15 minutes and then we'll jump to Khan. Sure. You know, they come across a derelict called the Botany Bay and it's clear that this ship comes from, you know, the mid-1990s where Sarah Silverman's (laughs) from. (laughs) And during that time, there were the eugenics wars, which in First Contact is referred to as World War III. Very confusingly, I'm sure Forrest and Stacey are going to rip me apart on just conflating all these things. But essentially, they're like, oh, it's weird that they shot them into space. Who are these people? (laughs) And they take a while trying to figure out who is these people. And it turns out Ricardo Montalban's there, and he... At first, it's like, my name's Khan, just Khan, like Madonna or Zendaya for for the Gen Zers. And everyone's like, "Mm, seems sus. So they look into it a little more and they're like, oh, yeah, the most famous dictator from that era, Khan Noonien Singh, who looks a lot like this guy. Here we have a picture of him. He took over like half the world during the eugenics wars. He's a big problem. Why did they leave him alive and shoot him into space? Why didn't they just kill him? So meanwhile, he's over in sickbay holding a knife to McCoy's throat and being weirdly, I don't know, weirdly horny to the ship's historian who's like horny for Mm. 1990s culture. Horny for history. Yeah, horny for history, and he's willing to exploit that. So through a series of shenanigans, he tries to take the ship a couple different ways, and he's ultimately foiled because Kirk's gonna Kirk, and he takes like, you know, some drop punches and and hits him with like a pipe and then he's like look here we're gonna have a court martial right here and now we're not gonna contact anybody else about this but we're gonna have this whole 
courtroom scenario where we bring out our fancy jackets and we <laughs> drop you guys off at SETI Alpha 5, which is a planet that is like very similar to the Australian Outback where you like first started your empire the first time. You have fun, but we're like going to leave you here. And there's and, and he takes Marla MacGyver's, the ship's historian, with them because she basically committed a small treason. So at the small. end of it, I believe it's Spock that makes the line that's like, oh, I wonder about, you know, the space seed of your seed that, you know, in 100 years, it's going to be a problem. And Kirk's basically like, yeah, that's interesting. That's not my problem. And the episode ends. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a really good TOS episode. It's solid, honestly. Like, really shows, I think at least, I know they didn't want to put too huge of a timestamp on Star Trek at the time. That was one of Roddenberry's, like, qualms with the script. But to show that there had been turmoil in the world that they've since moved past that was just beyond, like, we know Nazis are bad, you know, or we knew that. Right. And showing that there were these other things that, bumps in the road that happened along the way. And what do you do when you're dealt a handful of napoleons what does that look like well and it's also interesting because at the time space seed came out the 90s hadn't happened yet this is looking into the future in two ways obviously you know you get the star trek of it all the enterprise the ship and everything like that but then you get this like weird alternate history take of the eugenics wars and well and for all the for all the scientific things that star trek predicted like the eugenics wars and World War Three and some of the big swings they took with predictions like, you know, in this episode, obviously not intentionally making predictions, but some of the ways they, you know, saw some of the science evolving and like made some guesses, like didn't actually come even close to playing out. So that's very exciting. Yeah, but we still have our iPads, which right. are great. Stacy, what did you think about viewing Space Seed? And Wrath of Khan is kind of like a, a double feature. As a continuous narrative, it does flow together extraordinarily well. And I think the most fascinating thing about it is to watch watch the dialogue between Nicholas Meyer, Harve Bennett, and the creators of the original series. In that, you know, Space Seed itself is a romp and it treats its its subject matter you know, fairly seriously for the time. You know, it's it's melodramatic as as sixties Trek tends to swing for the fences. I mean, at one point they put you know they put Kirk in the uh, compression chamber, and you know you get to see Shatner do what <laughs> Shatner does best, which is you know Shatner does best. Activate, he really act, shats it out. Activates the Google eyes, and he 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 sells it. He sells a man in pain mm-hmm. like and you know you get to see the double arm bar in all its glory and all that kind of stuff and you know it's a great episode yep. it's solid and i think it's like largely the standout of the episode is without a doubt ricardo montalban because he is right. the premier villain of the original series like nobody else comes close i mean you could argue a case mm. for maybe gary mitchell but gary mitchell only shows up in that one episode with the godlike power and then gets taken out fairly quickly and gary mitchell's more tragic than Khan. yes yes like gary mitchell is a victim mm. of circumstance mm. that Ultimately, yes, his his actions become villainous, but like you're kind of with Gary Mitchell for the first part of it. Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, you're definitely on yeah. Mitchell's side. You're like, man, you had a thing happen to you, and now you're attaining godlike power. But as you get more powerful, your humanity fades into the background. Right. With Khan, there's just enough humanity and charm to make him likable, to make him a noble demon. Like, and especially the bit where, like, as you said, when Khan holds the knife to McCoy's throat and he realizes that McCoy is not having it, 
Like, he just literally says, look, man, if you're going to kill me, move yeah. that knife two inches to the left. He'll get my carotid artery, and I'll bleed out much quicker. And, and Khan has that little smile, like, I respect a brave man. And it's just like, that's the cool, <laughs> right? that's cool as right. shit. And when he and Kirk, they have this kind of mutual respect, like they're adversaries. But up until the point where it gets physical, they're almost respectful of each other. Like there's a, there's this mutual agreement. Yeah, like it there's, yeah. it's weird. It's weird. And like you could get a psychiatrist to kind of read into this, but there's definitely like this kind of like <laughs> there's a little bit of like a kind of a flirtatious vibe between them, where it's like, oh, I could take your ship from you, and oh, you could certainly try, and you know, and Spock's just standing there between them, like, uh, okay, um, weirdo humans. Yeah, and you get that big dinner scene where it's like, yeah. oh. Your second in command is doing all of this talking while you just sit and watch. Well, mm -hmm. it's, it's the proxy thing. It's like, we've figured out you're a piece of shit, mm -hmm. and we're kind of just playing this game right now until one of us gets what we want from the other. Mm -hmm. And may the best man win. It's such a fun episode that's kind of imprinting the kind of 60s view of what will... You know, what the issues might be in the, you know, in the nearish future, right? They're, they're picking the, the mid nineties as a far off, you know, scary, scary future here. And, you know, they've tried to walk around or walk back the, the differences between the eugenics wars and World War Three. And they've tried to separate them, but you could all, you could almost think of it as like in the Star Trek continuity. It's just all hell from about the 1990s until 2060 something, which doesn't that sound great? <laughs> Taking into consideration just the like charisma and just the pure raw like emotive but also physical power that Khan has, not only you know over his own ragged band of of eugenic characters and and not. Of them seem to be as <laughs> engineered let's say as well as him it seems like he's always surrounded by these especially in wrath of khan by a, a maybe a bit more of a scraggly crew but you know he's the pirate captain right he is the one who is calling the shots and he is as soon as they wake up and are in this other space he is he is like all right we're taking over this time and place too so i really like the uh, kind of linkage between McCoy and Khan here in in this move or in, in the episode and then kind of how you know McCoy is serving as a kind of different all-knowing being uh in Wrath of Khan but it's such a fun yeah it's it's a totally solid A plus original series episode it does a lot with obviously a, a super awesome guest actor um, in Ricardo Montalban. It really connects with some of these kind of bigger ideas of the original series where they are trying to overcome or make points about human nature and the big moral outside of Spock's, uh, as you alluded to, <laughs> Spock's line, what seed, what garden have you wrought, or whatever he says, is, and I think it's more and more fun to continue butchering that line as we go <laughs> along. Milton, sir. Milton. Milton. <laughs> A rump. Books. Oh. <laughs> 
just this just this like perfect era commentary on that's really kind of a one of those classic cautionary tales there's so much like other we've been kind of watching some other original series episodes uh, we watched the um the doomsday machine recently and that episode is such an anti-nuclear power episode or not nuclear power but nuclear weapons mm. and you know there's a little bit of that in this too and it's not necessarily uh, a mm-hmm. commentary strictly on nuclear power or nuclear weapons but it's like you know hey striving for these kind of artificial perfections is going to have you know dire consequences so watch sure. out 90s kids <laughs> otherwise <laughs> Con- otherwise Khan and Sarah Silverman are going to come get you that would be insane I think you know and what brings it into really stark relief for me too is you know I, I think of the Bach line I think it's from TNG from Unification where he talks about cowboy justice cowboy diplomacy. yeah cowboy diplomacy cowboy diplomacy <laughs> and mm-hmm. and ultimately he, he delivers you know some the enterprise crew delivers some some cowboy justice at the end of this one and they do it you know in wrath of khan as well where like they're tackling you know what could be these big broader social issues and they they allude to them and they they quote you know very poetic words about them but ultimately like they're dumping people places and then in wrath of khan letting stuff blow up oh without it and oh. so Watching, you know, that that contrast of the words versus, like, what they're actually doing is kind of fascinating. And, you know, again, from the psychology perspective of it all and the rationalizations for Kirk and what he does at the end of Space Seed by leaving them there and the way he justifies it to himself. Because they, presumably at that point in their mission, they're far enough away from Federation space that it's not like they're going to just, you know, risk it like hauling his ass all the way back to earth right so they they do this thing and they hope it turns out and that's just so tos and so early early era federation that it's it's fun to watch uh you get to see kirk's pride very much on display here and his like there's also the whole thing from voyager flashback where janeway in somewhat of a condescending tone, says that in that time, you know, they were less quick to invoke the Prime Directive and more quick to pull their phasers. And so, like, you see Kirk exile the crew of the Botany Bay to SETI Alpha 5. But to him, it's like, let's see what Khan can do given a do-over. Because here's the weird thing. Like, Like, Khan is a space Hitler, and yet everyone kind of treats him with this, like, Hey, you know, this guy, he was pretty much a badass back in the day. Like, if if you found right. a cadre of space Nazis on ice, the reaction... <laughs> like, all I'm saying is Picard <laughs> and, the, and the crew of the Enterprise-D might have had a slightly different reaction. <laughs> well, and I guess the question for me is by not making him, you know, the, the choice mm-hmm. to not cast a white man, like an Aryan-looking white man, and to make him... You know, a, a Mexican actor playing someone of like some kind of mixed heritage, of Asian descent, yeah. You know, including like Sikh, yes, Sikh yeah, Asian, Asian, you know, mm-hmm. descent. Is that removing you know that '60s audience from the association with a Hitler and being like, oh, he's more like somebody of old. He's someone from beyond you know our lands, mm. and so therefore they can like rationalize it a little. I'm trying to think yeah. like '60s logic. Tough. Well, like the other thing is like even the name, like Khan, because like. Genghis Khan. Right. Yeah, like, Khan Union Singh. Yeah. yeah, well, and, and Genghis Khan was, like, famous for taking over most of Asia. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, 
Khan did. And like, well, and he was, he was brutal, but again, he was brutal. Was he brutal for himself or was he brutal for the time? And I think like right. as an audience, mm. there's like that, that distance from someone named Khan Noonien Singh for, for a North American audience. Yeah, there's, right. there's that whole bit where, where he, yeah, where he slaps the table and just says, we brought the world order. And, mm-hmm. like, right. and you're like, yeah. Ooh, you are, you, you are one to. Well, right, right. Away from. <laughs> but the, you know, mm. they even, they even all have their little mutual admiration society about mm-hmm. him too, right? Scotty's right. like, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of this guy and like Spock is losing yeah, Spock it. Spock is the only He's one like, who's what like, the, you, what? Are y'all good? What, what, you what the hell are you? This this guy's a dick. You know this guy's a dictator and he like you know he ruled with an iron fist and all this stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's cool. Like he's awesome. <laughs> and now he's on our ship, and we're gonna, you know, have a twenty-four hour guard on mm. him. That is something that, giving this and actually being very specific about casting Ricardo Montalban, mm. not just because he's awesome, but because character is named Khan, and like right. they they very much had a very specific, you know, vibe to it and indication of 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 what type of person they wanted in this role. You know, really shows that they were thinking in this kind of global perspective right. and this and this idea that yeah in the next 30 years the world is going to be a, a globalized interconnected thing and there's not going to be these you know we're not going to see this kind of uh, separation and you know that's that was gene roddenberry's you know vision and right. it's, it's this is the other side of it right the vision is everyone from different backgrounds is hanging out on the bridge and everyone from different backgrounds is taking over the world so mm, it's a right. very unified thing you could I don't want to sidetrack it too much, but they really ruined that when they redid this movie. And they yeah. kind of take away a lot yeah. they take away a lot of that they take away a lot of that like recognition when they recast Khan as wait for it, a, a white guy. guy. Mm. Yeah. Right. So this is this is still one of those very powerful uh and it, it's it's it seems like a small thing, but you know, giving uh Ricardo Montemont was not uh was not treated uh, fairly in a lot of casting decisions in his life. He was very right. much discriminated mm-hmm. and he loved being Khan. And he loved it. He loved it. Which is great, because yeah. he, he and kills he, it. he fucking crushes it. I mean, like, this is a guy who had a very solid TV career before and after he did this, and just genuinely brought his A-game basically to everything mm-hmm. he did. But this, again, brought him a lot of depth where a lot of his characters didn't necessarily see that. He didn't have to create it in the same way. It was in the text, which is lovely. Right, and he got to play directly against Shatner. Which Look, yeah. I mean, well, in Space Seed, yeah. well, yeah, 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 in Space Seed, we'll get to yeah. we'll get to that here in a sec. One hundred percent. I was gonna bring up like, what if we made Khan a pasty white British guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we all saw how that went down. It was not. I mean, yeah. like it was by fun. no means yeah. by but no like, means defending that yeah, choice. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think you know, just again, it's it's hard to look back with rose colored glasses on the 1960s in American entertainment mm. and kind of take some of the statements about Gene's vision, yes, but versus like the actual production and choices, like without taking a huge grain of salt to it. Mm. So let's move on 15 years later to Wrath of Khan. Star Trek has gone through a complete reinvention syndication reigns supreme everybody's watching it there you know this tiny little movie called 
Star Trek the Motion Picture comes out. And is very like, bloated. It's very is fun. Bloated. It was expensive to the point where there's the, the famous story about, you know, just getting the producers all in a room and being like, they bring in the one guy who's like, I could have made five movies for that price. And so they go, all right, well, here's like one fifth of the budget. Go. Mm-hmm. And and then he got everybody who made Wrath of Khan, which is, again, a minor miracle that Wrath of Khan happened the way it did. Yeah. Because the first script they had coming through the world for, for what was going to be the second Star Trek movie sounds like it would have been a goddamn disaster. So they had, you know, Nicholas Meyer, Stacey, I'm sure you've got uh, some more insight on this, mm-hmm. but came in and basically like delivered a script within like, it was less than two weeks mm-hmm. and it was very close to what was on screen. That's insane. Two-week turnaround? Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Jeez. Like, and to be fair, like, uh, Meyer himself and Harv Bennett kind of collaborated on it, and they worked real hard to to build it up. Like, I think Harv Bennett mentioned that he and Meyer, like, streamlined, like, they, they mainlined, like, the a bulk of the original series. Like, and this was back in the day when right. VCRs were largely the fever dream of a madman, so they had to, like, go over through all the tape. And My- Myers had never seen it prior no, no, to this. Absolutely not. He was to taking the job. Yeah, he was a he was an auteur director. Well, and I think that's important to the legacy of this film as well, itself. Some of the stylistic choices he informed, like the nautical kind of themes and and looks. Yeah, the uh, best that, uniforms. You know, they were they remained. Yeah, they remained mm-hmm. through the rest of the TOS era, even into TNG. I would say. Yeah, to an extent, uh, some of some it. of that DNA did carry over. Um, certainly the. The fact that he was like, well, let me just take this idea of like, here's how I see it. I don't see it as wagon train to the stars. I see it as Horatio Hornblower in space. So he played right, it very right. much. He played very much into that and dealing with the fact that in the movie, Kirk turns 50 and it's a meditation on getting older, realizing that you're not quite what you were, but you've still got some stuff that you, you had and, you, you know, the, the value of friendship, the bonds of friendship and how like it's an epic tale. Like there's a reason that as we get into the, the Botany Bay and Chekhov looks over the bookshelf, there's Milton's Paradise Lost, there's Moby Dick, there's like it's this big epic of right. vengeance and better to reign in hell and that that we got all this in a Star Trek movie after like the previous one was so very much not this it is a miracle yes very very much not this i enjoy the motion picture but for like completely different reasons and i think part of it is because of what you're saying exactly is that he turned star trek into an epic almost yeah it grew the beard star trek like with the moby dick and stuff like that star trek is, is the growing the beard you know it's a little more punk rock Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what Star Trek used to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely like lends itself to the story, which Stacy, you're talking about like themes and like Mm -hmm. themes are very important in movies. And the theme of Kirk growing old in this film is a through line throughout because, oh, yeah, it's space battles and there's the Genesis Project and all this other stuff going Mm -hmm. on. But ultimately, it all circles back to the theme. My, which I my favorite, love. my favorite theme slash through line in Wrath of Khan is everyone slowly facing their own Kobayashi Maru mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they would react given those circumstances, given a no win scenario. Whether you have you know a, a slightly mind controlling worm put in your ear, or if you have to <laughs> you know keep the the warp engines going when you know you're gonna have to sacrifice someone who's related to you, which depending on which version of the movie you're watching, and then someone who is my favorite through both 
Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, McCoy, who proves, is the only one who proves in Space Seed that he's willing to face death. Yes. Mm -hmm. He literally straight up says to Khan, do it. What are you waiting for? Like, cut the carotid, I'll die faster, but like, you do you, chief. And then in Wrath of Khan, it's so interesting, he kind of floats in and out of scenes, just someone who knows. He's wise. He knows to confront Jim about aging. That's one of the Mm -hmm. first scenes in the movie. He knows to confront Spock about his choices, and he knows he's there at the end. When Spock transfers, you know, you later learn he's transferring his Katra into McCoy, but like it's because Mm -hmm. McCoy has this intimate knowledge. He's the only one who's truly had his Kobayashi Maru before this movie. And it shows, it shows with like the gravitas he brings without really impacting the story in like a severe way. Oh yeah, he's the, he's, McCoy's the conscience of the movie. Like when Kirk unveils the Genesis Project, McCoy is aghast. Because he can see, like, right. A, like, the Federation has always been a geopolitical power, but this is this is wild. Like, he's saying, like, we can whip up a planet in six minutes? And, like, what happens if this gets detonated yep. on a planet that already has life on it? And Spock coldly observes mm-hmm. that, you know, it'll just override it. He famously says, who are the right hands? Uh, exactly. Like, and he's the one who's always, mm-hmm. he's wise. He's the anchor of the movie. He's also the voice of the audience and the humor of the movie. Like, you know, who's holding up the damn elevator? <laughs> my favorite bit is when in the in the Academy scenario, he's just like, well, what did you think of my performance? <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's, he's like yeah. laying there. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just like chill. him, like, propped like, up on his shoulder. Yeah, like, absolutely, completely chill. Like, McCoy has no fucks left to give. He hasn't given fucks since the 2240s. And, like, he's he's here, like, he's, he's, he's semi-retired. He's getting ready to like take that last cruise, the cadet cruise on the on the Enterprise, and he's he's got no fucks left to give, and so he's trying to give his best friend, his second best friend, Kirk, like that boot in the ass that he needs, because it's like, look, man, you tried being an admiral on. It's very clear it doesn't fit. You need to get back out there before you end up like one of these antiques in your very plush and very cool looking apartment. Get out there and, and get back. Mm-hmm. Get get the Enterprise. The most eighties apartment mm-hmm. ever. The most eighties apartment. Yeah. yeah. With a view of of San Francisco it's that I believe great. is impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some screw. Well, I mean, but in the future you yeah. can have whatever view Unless you want. The, so that's like clearly I mean, a hey, nothing yeah. wall. Or that building yeah. is floating, like it's a floating building. I don't know. F- futures of construction. Exactly. All. So let's talk about the Kobayashi Maru just to start off, because that's how this movie starts. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great and awesome. The Inception and, opening. And the wall rises up and Shatner is backlit and he just mm-hmm. strolls onto the bridge like he fucking owns the place. Well, think I of, mean, he, he is an animal, well, so he does. Well, but, Ryan, like, Ryan, Ryan, think about it, my dude. If in this scenario we start on like SETI Alpha 5 and it's desert and grit, it's very obvious that Khan Union Singh is the devil. Like walking out right. of the beacon of light is God. It's the role Shatner was born to play, baby. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it, it, the imagery is fairly on the nose, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, the 80s were nothing if subtle. So, yeah, the Kobayashi Maru, what did you guys think of it? Like, it's it's so cool. I love... I, it's probably one of my favorite sequences. I mean, it's definitely it's it's to the point now where the Kobayashi Maru and what it means and what it stands for is so goddamn iconic that going back and watching this now, 
it's just it sings right mm-hmm. and and you just you know in your head how it plays out you're watching everybody's reactions you're watching everyone's facial expressions you're watching you know Kirstie Alley in her first big screen appearance fucking crushing it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and her working through it in real time and everyone kind of looking to her and watching her come to the conclusion she does about how to deal with it it brings you in as an audience member because it makes you almost feel like an active participant well then we get the whole bit of like you know it's it's a test of character like the whole thing of the kobayashi maru is that the right. goal ostensibly isn't to win it's how you face and stare down a, a situation and scenario where there is no way to which is why yeah. Kirk thinks it's bullshit to the point where he literally, as he puts it, alters the conditions of the test because he doesn't believe that there's a no-win scenario. That's the core to Kirk's character. Right. He always believes there's another way out, even when there isn't. Like he'll 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 die holding on to that belief that there has mm-hmm. to be a better mm-hmm. way, there has to be a third option to take. And this movie, if there's one thing that you can drive home, it's that Kirk's pride has come back to bite him in the ass hard, especially in the last <laughs> oh, half in of the movie. best way. And in all the best ways. Like this mm-hmm. is the this is the movie that kind of calls out the original series on a lot of its bullshit. Like and it it does it in yep. such a way that is very loving and gives you the chance for the heroes to be badass and have their redemption arcs and have their moments. But it costs. They they pull it off at the last mm-hmm. minute. But it costs. And that's why I love it so much. And then we get to SETI Alpha 5, Forest. What are your thoughts on, on this dusty, dusty boy? On this dusty boy, first we have to talk about the spaceship orbiting the dusty boy. Because we have uh, <laughs> ah, the one yes. and only uh, Pavel Chekhov, who is now clearly, I think, first officer yes. on, this, on, this, uh, on this ship. And we have the lovely Paul Winfield in his... So in his in his pre-metaphor days, he is still speaking in complete sentences, complete intelligible <laughs> sentences at this point, which is really nice. And something I actually didn't catch until the most recent watch through. I did not catch this until, and who knows how many times I've seen Wrath of Khan, but I did not catch it until now. But our beloved transporter chief, Kyle, is on this ship and is yeah. like oh, the communications dick. officer or something. That's right, too. And it was just incredible. And he's like, you know, he's a commander of some kind. He's doing, he's communicating. You know, He might be like the science. I don't know exactly what he is, but I did not catch it until now that that's Kyle. And like they, I Clearly, you know, better audio or, or this is the mm-hmm. affordances of having the captions on all the time. They say Kyle and I and then I recognize the face. I'm like, no <laughs> way. So I, I thought awesome. that was cool. And, and there's always new things in all of these to watch. So great setup. Reliance, a fun little ship. Tough, Absolutely. You know, the Miranda. Uh, well, I guess not little. Yes, the Miranda class is a big, big, big fan of that. Did I, did I read somewhere that this was like the first non-constitution class ship to be shown yep. in a in a star trek mm-hmm. she is so that's, the first. that's pretty cool for yeah, the yeah. cell talk after dark yeah yeah oh, without a doubt yeah. gotta get that into cell mm-hmm. talk down yeah and we will see miranda's again in uh next generation uh and it's it's just a fun play on uh and we'll see it not only there but we'll see it in some other uh series we'll see it in deep space nine and see if you can get blown up in deep space nine but no <laughs> So it's a great ship. 
It's a fun ship. And, like, the absolute horror of Chekhov when they get into this pod and, you know, his captain's mm-hmm. like, what the hell is this? And Chekhov goes, Botany Bay. And just awesome acting where the he's like, we're leaving now. slow motion realization. Right. It's like such a, there's, there is not much, like, horror movie intonations in star trek movies you know the uh, first contact maybe has a little bit of the kind of horror with the borg taking over yeah. enterprise e but that just like he knows and some of us in the audience know but yep. you know but his captain doesn't know what's about it's such a good like little horror play well, and that shot of everybody in the sand oh, fuck. as they yes. exit, and you just know that they've they've known they were in there the whole time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They are not operating single file. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't need to. I read a I read a little story about that sequence, and I you know, I don't know how true it is, but the story I read was that they like sealed off the set and they had essentially like a tornado machine in there float like <laughs> blowing all the sand around, and they had all of the camera equipment and the sound equipment like saran wrapped but they couldn't seal the actor's helmets so they had to give like hand signals every time it got too bad that they couldn't breathe oh, <laughs> it sounds like it was a disaster between that and almost drowning everyone in voyage home it's like again a minor miracle that everyone lived through all of these movies oh, man this movie's so good this movie is so good and then we get the weird ear space slug things can i just jump in real quick with an yeah, observation yeah, go 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 so when khan stares down tyrell and says i don't i don't know you but you i never forget a face and like they have that great moment yeah. where like khan explains the events of space seed and so does Chekhov, and that bit where yes. tyrell mentions i've never met admiral kirk and that moment where oh. khan is like admiral Admiral, like that moment yep. after <laughs> all like, that sh- fucker got a promotion after all the shit that he and his people have been through after the shit that he's going to show them that killed his wife. Not only did Kirk go mm-hmm. and sail on to have his own adventures, the man got promoted. Like that's the moment when Khan Union <laughs> Singh goes completely batshit insane. That's the moment where like yep. I was going to threaten you before, but now no, I'm. Fuck it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to enact my plan of vengeance. I'm going to burn everything to the fucking ground. And it's great. And when they break out the eels, like, (laughs) I don't care how, like, the high def can can do so much. It can show you as much of it. Like, this is obviously a waxier. It doesn't matter. It's fucking creeptacular. Like, you were talking about horror movie imagery before. This is of an alien level. Like, Mm -hmm. you can rationalize, like, the face hugger. Okay, fine, whatever. But something crawling in your ear. And when he explains that it's gonna... There's there's a lot of alien in this movie, too. I mean, like when they go to regular one and they're walking through and trying mm, to find mm-hmm. everyone, the doors, even the music yeah. sounds like the original alien. And then they p- start pulling the bodies down from the rafters. I mean, this is a movie that clearly took place after alien right. after star Wars, because the same cameras for like those overhead space shots were the same ones from star Wars. And knowing all of those influences that like t- profound sci-fi and horror influences that all took place within like a five year span before this movie came out you can just you can hear it you can feel it you can see it it's just a full sensory experience yeah 
the space slugs are great and creepy. Oh, yes, without a doubt. And to just jump ahead in time, when McCoy and, like, Savick and Kirk are walking through the space station, when McCoy turns around and bumps into the upside-down corpse, like, I still jump. Yeah. I yep. still fucking jump. And I know yeah. it's coming. Yeah, it's another great horror pull. The whole, that whole regular one space station, like, all of it, up until they, it's almost kind of like the film, it's a big turning point for the whole narrative, because they get there, and it's horror movie, it's betrayal, it's everyone's dead, uh, and then they take this kind of leap of faith beaming into the center of the of the of the rock, <laughs> and after a couple of individual Kobayashi Maru choices down there, it's Eden and it's Paradise and it's Apples, and the you know you kind of have that resolution arc yeah. moving out of that. Mm-hmm. So it is such a great plus all the designs, all the I just love the set design of, of regular one. Mm-hmm. And and just that whole way that station is set up is really pretty. Plus the, well, before they were dead, but all the other scientists and all the kind of suits. And yeah, very, very alien, very that 80s sci-fi. And Star Trek totally just leaned into it. They're like, we know we were first, but we also know people have been doing more interesting right. and better stuff than we did. Yeah. So we're just going to take it all and thank you. Well, and the idea that, that it looks different because it's a civilian outfit that is being supported by Federation and Starfleet infrastructure. And so there's, you know, obviously the Star Trek feel to it, but it does feel different from everything else we've seen so far. And I again, just one more time to, to loop back around to how deeply unsettling that sequence is when you just see Uhura on all the screens trying to contact anyone on the anyone, space station. Yeah. And and as they're like walking through and Savik eventually has to call and be like, just shut up for a second. We're, we're figuring this out. You're creeping everyone out. Just stop. <laughs> and it, honestly, that is so deeply unsettling to me. It, it's very like, you know, obviously it came way after, but like very feels like dead space. Like when you're going through a video game and there's just like an automated message message that's like saying like everyone get to the escape pods <laughs> like it's just mm-hmm. it, it, oh no it rattles something deep in my soul every time they they pan the camera slowly over those images i want to circle back to city alpha real quick before we dive dive forward what a fun series of planets that i i would love to know more about all the other city alphas ryan <laughs> what happened to those <laughs> uh space shit happened supernova destroyed a planet but the big thing I wanted to talk about is the checkoff in the room. Cause Chekhov's checkoff? Yeah, Chekhov's checkoff. Cause he's not in space seed. He was on the night shift, Ryan. This was ostensibly before, yeah. Uh have you ever heard Walter Koenig tell the story of how Khan no. and uh, Ooh, I want to hear this. Uh, how Khan met. Um, so apparently Koenig tells this story at conventions. Like the reason you didn't see him was, you know, Chekhov was a junior ensign and Khan at one point during the events of Space Seed had to really, really, really go to the bathroom. And unfortunately, Chekhov was in there and it took a really, really long time. And so <laughs> Chekhov comes out just in the nick and then Khan marches up to him and goes, I shall remember you. And then just swans off into the bathroom. <laughs> and that's the story. <laughs> which is perfect absolutely perfect yep i have i have no notes <laughs> moving on yeah it's it's one of the more famous continuity blunders mm-hmm. but, they, but like, I mean, like it the doesn't thing, matter the thing of it was is that it was only so far as they actually did there were people that brought it up during filming and they were like you know what 
shut up. Yeah, exactly. And they just kept right. moving. Right. Because, like, ultimately, who cares? Like, mm-hmm. it, there's a world beyond what happens within within the camera in the mm-hmm. events of Space Seed. Yes, and it's it's very much like one of those, if you try to patch it to, okay, well, we need to put someone who was there. There's there's no one, right? Yeah. There's there's nobody else who could conceivably yeah. be doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, because Sulu's not in that episode. And you're not going to put, like, you know, oh, yeah, first officer James Kirk. No, none of that. So it's yeah. like... Well, and, and Chekhov's a little younger than the rest of them. Yes. He's the one who would take a promotion the ladder. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. The, the rest of them are kind of nearing retirement age at that point. Koenig is the only one who's young enough to feasibly, like, you know, be coming up through the ranks on a different starship. But needed to be mentioned. So after they get slugged, I guess. It kind of sets everything into motion with the Genesis Project and Carol Marcus and Mm -hmm. all that, and then as... her curly-headed himbo son. Marcus, yep. The 80s were wild, (laughs) wild time. That that perm is just so distracting. Yeah, as they slowly start, you know, oh, make a phone call and say, the Federation is coming to claim the Genesis Project. Mm-hmm. And that phone call is, like, deeply unsettling, too. I yeah. think, like, that's just a testament to Koenig's performance. Exactly. Like, Koenig's. Koenig. What did I say? Koenig's. Koenig. Where he just stares at the screen mm-hmm. and he barely blinks throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. No, it's creepy With, like, as a shit. slight smile. They're like, let's take everything that was creepy about Chekhov unintentionally from the original <laughs> series. <laughs> what if we just funneled that into a truly intentionally creepy performance and he delivered? It's great. And then that means that Kirk gets to take an Enterprise full of cadets. Mm-hmm. On one last crazy mission. I'm two weeks from retirement. I hope nothing happens. Everybody's two weeks from retirement. Even the Enterprise, which was once the flagship of the Federation, is now a training vessel. The whole bit of it is like, this is just for the kids. Like, we're going to take them out for a little, like, Boy Scout jamboree mission. I'll let them earn their merit badges. And then we'll come back in, like, a week. And then Admiral Kirk comes (laughs) along. He's like, oh, by the way, we're going on this top secret mission. Can you imagine being one of the cadets on that ship that managed to survive that (laughs) shit? Like, you'd be like, you'd have a thousand yard stare for the rest of your career. Like, I was in engineering on the Enterprise when Khan attacked. How was, how was your time at the academy? Did you join the, you know, join the, the Academy Parisi Squares team or anything like that? It's like, nope. Almost got blown up by Khan. Yeah, they, they gave right? him a ship literally full of cannon fodder. These poor kids. A ship full of red shirts. Literally, because we're all wearing the new uniforms. And they are all wine colored. Yeah. It is a ship of red. It is a sea of red shirts. Oh, you poor kids. You poor, sweet summer <laughs> children. So I have a question for you guys. Caitlin and I, we watched the director's cut version of this Which a couple days ago. in and of itself is still kind of a mishmash. Yeah. Do you guys, did you guys watch the director's or the regular cut? Because speaking of all of the cadets, that's mm-hmm. like one of the big ads in the director's cut. Well, and it's, it's yeah. funny because when, and we did watch the director's cut this time, but as, as a kid, um, I have a, a VHS of this back home in the hometown, and of course that was the theatrical, so like, it was funny watching the director's cut, because I've heard stories of what's different in the director's cut, but watching it all play out was like, a little moment of cognitive dissonance every time there was a beat, or like, sometimes a different take from what was in their theatrical, so it was just a little weird to watch. Yeah, but the big ad... We're, ta- we're obviously talking about midshipman Peter Preston. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's one of yes. them. Yeah, yeah. The, the big... Scotty's nephew. Yeah, my sister's youngest, crazy to get into space. 
and you're just like they have that cute moment with <laughs> Kirk at the beginning of the the thing where he's just so chipper. He's he's literally the the puppy that follows around. Spike is so big and strong, and just like he's he's just so perky and upbeat. And it's just like even even then you're like, oh, well, this I hope this kid's all right. And then things happen in the movie, and it's one of the most powerful moments in the yep. movie where they see Scotty holding his dying nephew although yeah, the in the turbo lift, lift yeah because it's obvious that scotty was in such shock that the turbo lift just literally responded to a call to the bridge and just got him yeah. there instead of sickbay and you see spock just close his eyes which is the vulcan equivalent of a fucking scream it's one of the mm -hmm. wildest bits of performance from leonard nimoy that i've ever seen like that's a moment and like when he's like the word is given warp speed and he fucking dies that's the moment where you're like yep. oh we're not gonna be we're not gonna be having any fun with like space gods or tribbles or anything like that oh shit this is this is this is getting real in the field right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, and the blood well, is on his uniform sort of stakes. for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like when he grabs oh. him with his bloodied hand, yep. this yeah. poor kid who's like, I get to go on a training academy with Captain Spock and Admiral Kirk. Everything's coming up, Preston, and you're like, oh <laughs> no, <laughs> like oh, your heart breaks, <laughs> and your heart breaks for Scotty because can you imagine having to tell? Your sister. Oh, shit. Oh, he looks mm -hmm. so broken. He's And it's what oh, a wonderful yeah, performance absolutely. from James Dewan. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, he absolutely crushes it. I think it's a good ad. Like, sometimes with director's cuts, it gets a little dicey. Well, so in the theatrical, it's it's there. Yes. But they the don't, loss but is they don't yeah. contextualize it. So when he shows up on the bridge with the kid, there is that moment of, like, why this kid? And so that was really the only thing. Right. I mean, like, the, the warp speed part is still there, the blood is still there, it's just not as contextualized, and, like, I can I, I can see the argument for cutting parts of it out, but again, when you cut too much of it, as I think the theatrical did, it gets to the point where it's, like, almost a little bit nonsense by the end. So, yeah, again, bringing it all back in is a good ad. Yeah, I think that was the biggest ad in the director's cut from of viewed and understood as far as, you know, additional takes and things like that. Then Khan... Fucks up the Enterprise, fucks it up real good. Real bad. Yeah, nope. There's no plot armor for the Enterprise in this one. The Enterprise gets the shit kicked out of her in this movie. <laughs> like, it's it's definitely one of the first indicators that, like, yeah, all bets are fucking off because the the hero ship that has managed to save the galaxy on more than one occasion gets fucking wrecked, and you see hull damage on the Enterprise that lasts through this through search for Spock. Like they never fix it. Like she's 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 gutted. And when Spock's yeah. like, they knew precisely where to hit us because Khan in Space Seed studied the technical manuals of the Enterprise. Kirk. Yep, they literally turned a monitor to him, and they were like, "Let us know if you need anything else to wreck us with." Yeah, and he's memory, and it's just locked in the memory banks, right? Yeah. He's like, "Yep, I know exactly how I'm going to carve this turkey." The horrifying thing about it too is that you know when they cripple the Enterprise, there's like an hour left at least in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's like watching these like old boxing titans like both pull back, and everyone's 
throwing slow but heavy punches because like mm-hmm. they're slowly chasing each other around this stupid planet <gasps> before they decide to have a stupid slow speed chase into this nebula where like then they slowly veer away from each other through the static but it's so tense and it so works and you're with them the stakes are high the entire time everyone's just constantly on the brink of falling apart and so all that's left are these two men and their egos mm. and who's who's gonna play chicken first yeah and like who's who gonna plays? lose yeah like it's just it's so masterful from a storytelling perspective because like there is it's, it's a big swing to have both ships crippled that badly that early the game of chess between kirk and khan is amazing because khan's opening salvo Salvo damages the Enterprise to the point where Kirk has to pull, like, something out of his ass, like the command codes for the Reliance, Mm -hmm. to level the playing field. And the way that Kirk, like, buys time, like, look, come on, talk, nod, like we're having a conversation, and, like, keying the codes in, and he manages (laughs) to to damage the Reliant. And the Reliant, which up until Khan takes it over, is a Federation starship. You know, it's friendly, it's bright, it's joyful. Once Khan takes it over, that ship is a figure of menace. Like, it's stalking the Enterprise like a fucking lion on the veldt. And the Enterprise is graceful, sleek lines, and the Reliant is boxy and kind of like, you know, it's got like a kind of like a bulldog tenacity to it. And when they're stalking each other through the nebula and kind of missing each other, like ships that pass in the night, they're playing submarine. Whoever, like, pings the other first. Like, it's got a bit of that balance of terror energy, which I appreciated. But Kirk's chess game and, like... Yeah, where he lays out the... Yeah, yeah. it's it's very Mm -hmm. submarine. Mm -hmm. Very submarine. Very Hunt for Red October. And the bit where if we were to go by the book, hours would seem like days. Like that shit where like Kirk, like when the the pendulum, when the momentum swings back around and you hear that James Horner music like bump, 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 bump. Bum, 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 bum. I don't like to lose. And it's like, fuck yes. And when the Enterprise does, it's like the crew gets their gear up for war montage. Like all the crewmen are running around yep. the decks. They're getting the proton torpedoes loaded. You're like, fuck yeah, we're going to fucking wreck this guy. Let's do this shit. It's one of the best pump your fist moments in Star Trek. Like, let's get it on. And James Horner's soundtrack is the MVP of the game. Like the reliable, like oh, just laying it up, like sneak attack alone is fucking gold like the menace like it's one of ours sir oh yeah it's reliant oh yeah 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 like that and the tension <laughs> yeah. as it and slowly they, they builds up it yeah. so quiet oh, yeah when it goes loud oh it's great. shit yeah shut it down oh that's what surround sound was built for <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's definitely a wonder um i'm still crossing my fingers for that 4k i want to see it one day one day but then we we get to regular one we kind of already talked about all of that stuff. Bit, yeah. The one part I do want to talk about, we talked about like the horror elements and things like that is when they find when they find Scotty and the captain. Oh, uh Chekhov like, and the captain. Chekhov and Terrell. Chekhov, Chekhov and the captain. Chekhov and Terrell, sorry. yeah. Yeah, Chekhov and the captain inside like the tiny little boxes and they're pretty off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're acting real weird. Oh, it's so creepy. And then to see him like shoot himself? Oh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's it's yes. He's fighting from the inside the whole time. Like the thing about it is you can tell at certain points that Chekhov and Terrell are trying to not do what Khan says. Like 
that bit like right. earlier when he's making the call to regular one and Chekhov is talking to them, the orders come from and there's a pause and he finally has to say Admiral James T. Kirk with this big like plastic smile on. And you're like, yeah, oh, shit. Yeah. Grin. yeah. And even then, even when he's holding Kirk at phaser point, Chekhov's just like, I'm sorry. Wild. The performances are great. Before we get to the big finale and everything like that, let's talk about Carol Marcus. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think, Caitlin? I, th- I think she's interesting. I like that, that the first conversation she has with her son where he's like, you know, that Boy Scout used to know. And she's like, yeah, I mean, he wasn't really. He was kind of a series of issues. Um, And, you know, he happens to be someone who's pretty, you know, powerful in Starfleet. So she, she immediately, like, you know, makes the call when there's a problem. The large adult son, for me never really did it for me yeah i think <sighs> carol carol marcus you know being kind of her own woman and having her own interests and being a smart lady but you know clearly you know was a very very beautiful woman it, it's fine yeah i think it all plays the thing that makes me pause about carol marcus is that carol marcus doesn't exist for carol marcus carol marcus exists so that Kirk can go on a journey about what it is to be a grown-up. And while that largely works in this movie, knowing that that's, you know, like, her entire reason for existence kind of is a semi-lackluster thing. Yeah. But I think she, the actress brings a lot to it, and again, her connection to the Genesis Project and to the, the implications that project has, and the fact that, like, what kind of wild spirits would create such a thing, I think, you know, again, all plays really well. I really like Carol Marcus because of the whole civilian aspect of it all. Right. I think mm-hmm. that gives her a little more edge mm-hmm. than, you know, because everything we've seen up until this point is very, you know, Starfleet, everything's buttoned up, and we're following regulations and right. things like that, and to see her take command of this crew of scientists in a way that we don't see in Starfleet at all, yeah. especially after they get the call. and She's super quick on her feet. Right. She, yeah, she thinks fast. She's resourceful. You know, again, she brings a lot to that character, which is, is fun. And especially, like, after she gets the call mm-hmm. and the entire crew is just like, well, we're a civilian project, like, and, like, they're mm-hmm. all blowing gaskets, rightfully so. That, like, weird Ridley Scott circle around the center console shot they do where they all argue about it. Oh, yeah, that is a Ridley Scott shot, huh? That is a moment, yeah. Oh, that's straight up alien, huh? But, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy her. Forrest, what do you think, I mean, as, what, what do you think of... of as far as Carol Marcus is concerned. Well, I like, I mean, this is one of the pieces of all the scripts that they kind of, all the big ideas that they kind of merged together as they were building up to this. It's one of the ones that is, it kind of fits as a more, it builds a more subtle, like, flow throughout this movie of, uh, you know, Kirk has a lost son. And I think that in positioning her and, you know, and his son in this kind of scientific non-star fleet, not that Kirk, you know, isn't a, doesn't have a certain scientific uh, knowledge or, or interest or whatnot, but putting them outside of Starfleet and outside of, you know, the kind of normal operation of what Kirk is used to gives it that additional little outsider insider uh, drama to it. In addition to the whole idea and concept of the Genesis project, um, which is so fascinating when, when Kirk is, you know, pulling up his Admiral codes to talk about it the first time, 
And it just drives, you know, drives McCoy wild. He goes from zero to brimstone in about three seconds. Uh, learning learning about the Genesis device. And Kirk is like, this is the thing that this woman I knew once upon a time is working on. And to kind of put it outside the normal sphere of, of Starfleet control. Although there's a, there's a little bit of that, like, military industrial con complex discussion going on here when you know they're like oh well the federation can't take it they, they're military they can do whatever they want you know that kind of thing is interesting i like carol marcus's character i think that having kind of a science base there's just so much within this movie that you could that you could really imagine or expand or or read into that never has to be said and everything that happens on regular one and the whole genesis device you know sub that's not even a subplot the whole genesis device part of this movie is just so is handled in such a fascinating way but it's so quickly there's the depth of some of this stuff doesn't come from you know exposition drops but really just like these quick flashes and like an understanding from the within the performance of you know how meaningful how interesting how powerful this is going to be especially i like all the all the the little scenes inside you know inside regular in the eden cave are are just that whole set and that whole all those interactions are just really great from the from the tragic to the humorous apple eating it's all great so then let's let's get to the finale kirk has like special code words that spock picks up on on the enterprise through like open channels and stuff to find them and beams them back aboard the enterprise and then we get like the great nebula chase which is always fun but then which the remaster of that looks absolutely fantastic oh yeah much Super much better fun. and then we get con con activates the genesis device mm-hmm. on the reliant and he chucks the fuck it bucket the fuck it bucket is activated i guess and then we get of course spock doing the thing mm-hmm. you know he he goes down and there's there's radiations oh, and radiations whole ship's gonna go down yeah and what do you do oh, man you channel your inner Leonard Nimoy and you get shit fucking done, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's so... <laughs> it's. I do like that he bothers with the gloves. Like, <laughs> there's a whole, like, ten second sequence where he's futzing with the gloves inside the chamber while everyone's still yelling at him to come back. Mm-hmm. Well. And it, I don't know, it, it strikes me as, like, the human side of him trying to, like, reconcile this dangerous thing this deadly thing he's doing and i i just i don't know that moment well, just gets you, me you can't fix the warp core if your hands melt off it's only that's, that's fair yeah. that's wow true. <laughs> that's true just you know always have a pair of ski gloves with you i guess i don't know yes yeah it, it that, that visual just makes me giggle every time i see it i know it's like a horrifying moment in you know film history but well it's it's the emotional payoff and everything like that especially you know, having McCoy down there as well. Yep. Instead of just Scotty, Again, the specter that floats through this movie is, Are you out is of your so Vulcan mind. And powerful. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> he gets one last one. <laughs> one in. last, yeah. one last Vulcan comment. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so good. I mean, like I I don't have to describe the scene. We've all seen it a million times. I like that when Kirk good. gets down there. 
Scotty says he's dead already. Uh-huh. Instead of being like, he's dead, Jim! Because that might have been a little light for the moment. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, bit, the, the bit where, like, they save the day, bless you, Scotty, go Sulu, and then... You take the breath. Like, McCoy's like, Jim, you better get down here. You better hurry. And he looks over at the science station and realizes Spock is gone. And he knows. And he knows. Oh, and it's yeah. that shot of that empty chair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, and he runs. Like, he fucking bolts to the to engineering, slides down the ladder, like, gets there. And the scene itself is heartbreaking enough. But the moment that clinches it for me is when Spock dies and Kirk is just sitting there. And he just says, no. He won, but it cost everything. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the big thing is, Kirk, he, he doesn't scream it. Mm-hmm. He's not crying. He's just, uh, like, you feel the weight of it. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm tearing up. Just A lot of people misattribute the con scream to that scene. And, and in reality, it's, it's way earlier in the movie because, like, you're right. Like, by the time he gets to this point, it just all, the, the realization of what he's set in motion. Is is it, it's reached its conclusion and well, it's 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 awful. And I think honestly, and not to bring it up again, but like into darkness mm-hmm. tries to do this as well. Fucks but it, it has up. its cake and eats it too. But yeah, it it fucks it up because you know, like Caitlin says, like the gif, you know, con, like you know, is not when Spock dies. That's earlier in the film and. The, the remake Into Darkness has all of this at once, you know, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't land. The bit that frustrates me is that everybody mocks Shatner for con and all that shit. But the whole point of it is Kirk is fucking lying. Like he knows the Enterprise is being repaired. His mission is to buy time for Spock to get the Enterprise right. repaired. Yep. He's selling it like con, you bloodsucker. You're going to have to come down here, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. Mm-hmm. Like, his whole thing is that he is... waste some time with he's me. He's fucking putting a shine on it because he's trying to distract. It's a misdirect. But And then the bit with, like... Let's be honest. Nobody shines harder and cheeses it up harder than, the than Shatner. Like, right? <laughs> and Meyer's technique to get Shatner to, quote-unquote, behave and not go full stereotypical Kirk is brilliant because he would just make... Kurt Shatner shoot it over and over and over and over again until he got the performance that he wanted, breaking essentially breaking Shatner's will, <laughs> like like getting the performance he wants, amazing. <laughs> and like my one favorite bit of business, like after the fact, like after the funeral, after like the tearful goodbye, after Scotty plays Amazing Grace, is the scene where Kirk's sitting in his in his quarters and he goes to read the book and he realizes, oh shit, in the middle. And the my glasses, glasses broke. Oh. The thing that helped him see clearly. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. So good. The glasses are great. <laughs> the glasses are so good. They're so fucking mm-hmm. good. Yeah. It is definitely, without a doubt, like, I think we're all in agreement here. It's like Voyage Home, then this one, right? Because, like, Voyage Home has well, whales. But Voyage mm-hmm. Home is also a Nicholas Myers joint. Like, right. it was the other one he mm-hmm. did. Voyage Home is I a Nemo joint. Nimoy. The Nimoy joint. Star Trek but Myers six. wrote it. Myers, Myers wrote, Myers Home, wrote didn't he? he wrote, I think he contributed, but Myers' next major contribution to the franchise is six, The Undiscovered Country. 
because Myers oh, went away from yeah, country. Yeah. He went away for a hot minute, and then he came right. back with Undiscovered yeah. Country and absolutely nailed the landing of the original series franchise. Like, yeah. absolutely crushed this this trilogy. Like three, two, three, and four is amazing. Right. Like, and just because of a happy accident, yep. because you know the draw that Myers had to and Bennett had for Nimoy was like, how would you like to have an absolutely fucking amazing death scene? Because Nimoy was that people were going to be done. talking about for fifty <laughs> yeah. years. Nimoy, yeah. he was, he was done. Yeah. Yeah. done. Harrison wanna... Ford chased that high for forty years after that. Yeah, seriously. The only reason that Nimoy did the motion picture was because he was contractually obligated. And once the, the, the TMP yep. was done, Arrivederci, he came back solely yep. to do that death scene. And then, on top of all yep. that, Gene Roddenberry spilled the fucking tea. Because Gene's, Gene's kind of a bitch that way, and told Trekkies yep. he gave away the game, so that Myers was like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah," wrote that whole sequence, that whole academy. The Kobayashi Maru is owed to the pettiness of Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> <laughs> and like the whole bit of "Aren't you dead?" I do all things through spite, which strengthens spite. me. <laughs> Great art is built on spite. This is my thesis. So yeah, so when <laughs> to when you know. Kirk goes to Spock, aren't you dead? That's a wonderful misdirect that lets the audience go, oh, okay, well, obviously they're not going to kill him. And then when they actually do kill him, Jesus Christ, to have been in the theater with the hardcore Trekkies as the knife slid into their back would have been amazing to behold. It's it's wonderful. Like, I cannot deny that Star Trek II, without a doubt, my favorite Trek. I think it needs more whales. I think that's the uh, only thing it's missing. I do love whales. I love cetacean ops, but yeah. this was an earlier time. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it on, on the podcast before, but there's certain groups that do attribute Star Trek with a huge amount of the success of the campaign to save the whales to the point where like certain species of whales now are off the endangered species list. Right. Purely because of Star Trek. Right. It's awesome. God damn. That's has so legs. wonderful. I love it. Well, I think about that wraps it all up. I believe, Forrest, did you have any closing thoughts, I guess, on Star Trek Into Darkness? No. <laughs> A few things to note. Scott, we mentioned Scotty's bagpipes just breaks me down every time. Because, of course, I uh, Savic crying is just oh, so masterful good. actressing by Christy Alley. And is something that Savic never gets treated right I don't after this. And part of that is because Christy yeah. Alley didn't want to come back and play her again. Because she exploded into her own stardom and Star Trek was still a little cheap. Savic is a character who I think we really could have had a lot more interesting things going on besides, you know, saving Spock and having his kid, which is implied in Voyage Home. It sure is, and it's sure creepy. Sure creepy, but, you know, such are the things you have to do to save child, man, Vulcan, human on the precipice of planethood. I I don't know. Search for Spock is kind of weird, but I like it. Savic good. Bagpipes good. Photon torpedo burial good. That's the first time they did the photon torpedo uh, yeah, I, yes. like burial mm-hmm. at sea thing again, going with those yep, nautical themes. Mm-hmm. Yes, very yes. All the all the navy things. I was trying to remember if they had done that at any other time, but I don't. I think this is the first time they do it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. No, the, yeah, this yeah this establishes that, and and we'll of course see this many more many more times. Okay. I've forgotten how cool Leonard Nimoy's readout 
was yeah. of this movie. It hit nicely. Is which was a late addition because there were obviously the early tests where viewers were like, "Man, fuck you guys for getting rid of Spock." So they were like, mm-hmm. "Let's tag something on so it feels nice." Weird mm-hmm. question for us: Is this the first time you've watched it since Nimoy's passing? I don't. Oh, maybe I don't think so. I think if I think we did a move, I've done a movie run since then, but I'm but I'm not sure now. I, I that's a good question. I mean, it's it's an awesome performance and mm-hmm. this this, but you know, also I mean, it's not Nimoy's last start. Uh, you know, Spock Spockage, and you know, Spock continues in other ways as well, which which are testaments to Leonard Nimoy as much as anything else. So. It is, uh, yeah, I, I I will agree wholeheartedly that this is the best Star Trek movie of the however many there are now. Which is funny, because this movie is also the worst Star Trek movie. So, you know. Why is that it the worst Star Trek movie? Oh, because it's not a Star Trek yeah, movie. Uh-huh. Because it's not a Star Trek movie. Yeah. It's a well, Star no, Wars I, movie. no, I... I was I was referring to the remake uh, with uh, <laughs> oh, right. bottleneck cabbage patch or whatever cucumber. his name is. So, uh, yes. right, right, yeah, right, right, cucumber right. patch. That's gonna be like right, right, mm. yes. So it's great. It's it's the premier Star Trek film. Stacy, closing thoughts. What do you say about one of the films that is like a pillar of your childhood, your formative years as a nerd, like? Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is like, as a kid, you know, I watched I watched Star Wars and I watched Star Trek. They were both doing very different things. As I've grown older, my appreciation of Star Trek, Star Trek II has only grown by leaps and bounds. And this movie is absolutely lovely with its themes, its messages about growing old, friendships, hatred, stuff like that. The parallels are great between Kirk and Spock and Khan and Yoachim who's just, who's constantly trying to get Khan to be like, look, man, we got a spaceship. We can just get out of here. We don't have to worry about this guy anymore. You've proven that you're better than him. And like the whole bit where like Khan's like, he tasks me and I will have him. The pride, (laughs) the ego on on, on the behalf of both men comes back to bite them in interesting ways. And it's just so good. And there's a reason why Ricardo Montalban has stood the test of time as one of the greatest of all time Star Trek antagonists because he manages to bring it home. He brought it home in the 60s. He brought it home in 1982. And like he created a villain whose legacy casts such a shadow that when J.J. Abrams was making the second Star Trek movie, he they, they got painted into a corner because of course everyone would be asking well where's khan if you're gonna do star trek 2 without khan that's that's a bold choice sir and i think that unfortunately into darkness suffers for that what we could have had the, the reality we could have had and of course uh to pinball off what what he was saying about savic like the reality we could have had where savic not valeris was the traitor like that would have blown mm-hmm. the doors yep. off everything but you know we can't we can't have it all but but it was it, this is an amazing movie um, on the off chance that anyone who's listening to a Star Trek podcast has not seen it. I mean, <laughs> right. or if you haven't seen it in a while, like, man, just treat yourself. Yeah. And that's 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 a great piece of for people who haven't seen it in a while. It's it's so worth revisiting. Caitlin, any closing thoughts? You know, I do think about that point a lot where I first saw this movie. I was probably like seven years old the first time I saw this movie. Right. Right. And so. 
when you're that young, you're you're looking at all like that high camp stuff, the very big stuff, and that's what you're reacting to. And that it's you know, there's some action stuff, there's some horror stuff. But as I've watched it, you know, time and time again, as I've gotten older, it just that that appreciation for the craft deepens and the production design and the music and and ultimately now you know looking at the construction of the story and understanding just the layers that went into this this project that has absolutely no right to be as good as it is and to have a end result that is so powerful and stands the test of time is just a testament to what what star trek is you know like the guys just said uh all the savic stuff i i eat that shit up that's the one thing i wish you know over the next few movies that if they had been able to retain kirstie alley and retain the original vision for the character you know in the weird uh abc television broadcast version of star trek 2 wrath of khan that apparently included scenes indicating she's half romulan which Mm -hmm. account for her kind of spikes of emotion um they you know when they did enterprise they were gonna circle back to that and have to paul be half romulan uh had they gotten another season so it's it's that thing that like always kind of is just beyond star trek's grasp is to do good romulan shit like to to that that level and for that time period and so i'm hoping you know maybe strange new worlds will surprise me and they'll kind of get in there with it but i I i think about her character a lot because she was so interesting and for the franchise she meant a lot right Mm -hmm. and so to to watch that performance and to to take in every time the amount of nuance that goes into it for an actress who's very young in her career and to still get it on that level is just such a delight. Well, and she's also the first female we see in the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. I believe so. During the Kobayashi Maru? Like, she's yeah. in the chair. She's not a captain. Mm-hmm. They, they comment like, on it because Kirk's, like, twitching visibly in the background. <laughs> and they, they ask, yeah, Bones asks if he wants a sedative and he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm totally okay with this. This is fine. This is the modern era. It's Good. Well, the kid is at the wheel of dad's Porsche. So he's just like, right. he's, a, right. he's, a, he's a little nervous. Exactly. Yeah. And when there's like, yeah, Spock dicking with him. There's several layers <laughs> of what's happening there. And <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, again, you can credit the Star Trek has had several revival points over the years, right? Where audiences wane and you get the hardcore trekkies but then you see these jumping on points and where it electrifies the audiences that you know maybe either have have are new converts or have been off you know doing other things for a while and kind of come back to star trek and this is one of those points mm-hmm. you know where star trek was more than something that was super niche this story you know while again it's a two-parter it's a two-parter to you know an episode of a show from 20 years ago however it's still accessible you don't have to have seen space seed to watch wrath of khan i you know the first time i watched wrath of khan i had not seen you space had not yeah, same. and so you can come at this show you can come at this movie and experience it and understand who these characters are, what their deal is, and what's happening in this movie. You know, I I would have to explain far less to someone than I had to explain to my mom when we saw, you know, Avengers Endgame. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Black Panther. And so 
from that alone, the accessibility of Wrath of Khan, that these these principles are universal. The the idea that your pride can take you somewhere dangerous and endanger everyone around you, and how far are you willing to let that go, that's universal. And and that's what makes it stand the test of time for me. Standing the test of time, like that's that's the other big theme in this is mm-hmm. is time gets us all. Like right. you know, you know, Stacy, you brought this up. I mm. dig the glasses. The glasses are so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's such a great And it's just beat. nailing yeah. that theme and just, yeah, just mm-hmm. nothing but net. Physical swoosh. manifestation of right. everything that's going on in this movie. Because Meyer's the first person to be like, hey, y'all know these people have aged, right? Like, it's not 1966 anymore. We, we can see it, you know, Shatner, you know... CG doesn't exist. We're not covering up anything. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like he's he's holding together reasonably well, but it's been it's clear it's been a minute for all these characters, and it's good to acknowledge that. It's it's good to acknowledge that these characters have progressed, and having Kirk turn fifty and grapple with the fact that he's not the young dashing space hero that he used to be is is cool. Yeah. It's cool to to see these characters address the fact when he says like gallivanting around the galaxy is a game for the young doctor and when he has that moment at the end of the movie where he's like I feel young like it's 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 a great yep. moment. Like it's it's mm-hmm. awesome. Like Shatner like I just want to I want to leave on this because Shatner gets a lot of guff justified or otherwise but I will say this mm-hmm, this movie right. is his best performance. Like the scene in the Genesis oh, cave yeah, where he's talking to Carol and and drops the mask because he doesn't have to put it on for his men anymore and has that moment of realness with her where he's just like, you show me a son and be happy to help. How do I feel? I feel old. I feel worn out. Like the only reason that we survived was because I knew something about these ships that he didn't. And this guy's a genius and he's been nursing a grudge for 20 years. I'm, right. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. close to gone. And it's, it's a wonderful performance. Like we all deride Shatner for his various proclivities his political affiliations there's a whole thing that i could do here but i will give credit where the credit is due like this performance is his best oh yeah without a doubt not even i don't think a question this is the one that solidifies him as kirk it's it's everything in the grown-up kirk blessed be one shatner and of course let's not forget ricardo Montalban. A true G. My God. So I think that about wraps it up. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to have new content and episodes coming at you in a couple weeks. Stay tuned to figure out what that's going to be. We got some surprises up our sleeves that we are very excited about. And until then, to be continued.